James chapter 5, uh, verse 16, and partway through the verse, it says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James was the earliest of the New Testament writings, and uh, Elijah was a revered prophet of Old Testament days. And here, in James chapter 5, we have him used by the Holy Spirit through James's writing to be an encouragement for the people to whom James was writing then and to us as well about the importance and the absolute vitality of prayer because it achieves the things of God. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much and because we're appealing to God to do what he has said he will already do. And that's what I'm going to, I hope, show you when we turn to First Kings in a moment. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The NIV says just a human being. That's not the real sense of it. It's, it's a man who was affected in the same way as we are affected by the circumstances of life around us. So yes, he's a human being, of course, like us. And the contrast is me being made here that although he was a man, he would pray for something which was supernatural. We are human beings who communicate with God that the supernatural may happen. I'm using the word supernatural in the proper sense here. You, you, you get that, don't you? We're not speaking of something mysterious, though the working of God is often mysterious. It's the work of God that he does in our world. Here was an Elijah, a man subject to the same incidences, the same circumstances, with the same struggles, with the same frailties, the same life circumstance. That's the emphasis that is here. He prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't rain. He prayed then that it would rain, and it did rain. Was that just his own imagining, that he thought it was appropriate that it wouldn't rain, and then he thought it was appropriate that it would rain? Not at all. Let's look at 1 Kings 17, just in case we run away with ourselves and think that prayer is asking for things that God has not said. I'm convinced that when we look at 1 Kings 17 and read a few verses there and in chapter 18 and so on, we'll see that Elijah was a man like us, in a setting not dissimilar to ours, who was appealing to God and speaking to God about the things that God had said he would do. And because he trusted that God would act, he prayed. That's what prayer is. Prayer is laying hold of the things that God has said and repeating them to God and asking that we might see them in the circumstances in which we are. Look at uh, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah just bursts into scripture in verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, who was the king in the northern kingdom of Israel, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Then over to chapter 18, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. 
Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then down to verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. He said to the servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go back seven times. It came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and out ran Ahab to Jezreel. Prayer isn't specifically mentioned, but it's implied, particularly in chapter 18. But when Elijah bursts into the, the pages of scripture there in 17 and verse 1, I'm sure he's a man who is coming to speak to King Ahab. Nobody comes before the king uh, unless they're absolutely convinced and convicted about something. Here's a man who has a message from God. And he comes and he says to them, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. There's a man who has the confidence of his convictions and the commission with which God had sent him. We haven't had the time to read earlier in chapter 16, But it tells us in verse 33 that Ahab did more to provoke the Lord than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He was the seventh king of Israel and he was wicked. And he was wicked because he'd married Jezebel who was of the Sidonians, uh, a nation to the north, who were known for the worship of Baal and the Asherah. Baal being uh, the hideous god and Asherah his female consort. Not only that did they bring in through that marriage relationship the worship but he went further than just merely bowing down to idols it says that he built a house a temple for Baal in Samaria you know when the kingdom had divided uh, the first king of Israel had set up false religion that was loosely related to that which the Jews had known that had been given by God at Sinai he'd set that up so that the people of the northern kingdom wouldn't go to Jerusalem so that the kingdom would be secured That was false. It was idolatry. It was loosely related to what God had put in place, but it wasn't what God had said should be done. And that was wrong. 
But here was a man who brought in something outside which was just hideous. For which God had said, you'll never do it. And he builds a temple in Samaria. The, one of his two capitals, Jezreel is the other one. He used one during the summer and one during the winter it would seem. There in Samaria had this temple. And this woman who was killing as well the prophets of the Lord. What a state the nation had fallen into. Here was a man troubled by the state of the nation. And we're people today that are troubled by the state of the nations in which we live. And what did he do? I'm sure as a man of God he was praying to God. What is going to happen with this? Now, being a man of God, I, I'm assuming that he was a man of the word of God. Elijah. He comes from the area, the other side of Jordan where the, the settlers were, it says. So uh, part of the, the group of the half-tribe of Manasseh and so on and Gad and that region and he'd come made the journey across no short journey to come to Samaria with his message and I think it was because he knew the word of God God had warned his people back in Deuteronomy 11 just take a note of this if you are Deuteronomy 11 16 and 17 he said to his people then beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens. So there will be no rain. And the ground will not yield its fruit. Here was a man. Who probably most likely knew the word of the Lord. And he saw a nation around him that was in such a mess. And he was pleading before God. What do we do with the nation? What do we do with these people who are so bent. And under the leadership of people who are so bent away. From your things. God. You've said in your words. That judgment will come. You've said that that judgment will turn your people back. I can just imagine. Elijah as a man of prayer. Pleading that. And the Lord says to him one day. You go and tell that wicked king. That it's not going to rain. I'll honour my word. Notice that. Uh, the two statements that uh, Elijah makes in 17 verse 1 as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word he knows that the Lord is the true God notice too in 18 and verse 36 we read it together this is when he gathered the, the people together he said O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. He said in both cases that he was a servant. He was one who stood before the Lord God. He was convinced that the Lord God was the living God. And not only that, that he was the covenant-keeping God for his people. O Lord, that's Yahweh. The God of Israel lives in the first reference in 17. Before whom I stand, I'm a servant. I'm merely here to tell you what God has said. And that for us is important too. Because we go about in our work absolutely convinced that God is living because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And because our God is a living God, uh, we don't claim any glory for ourselves. We will appear in people's circumstances and in their lives and just say we're merely servants. And we're pointing to the glory of the one that we know is there. And he has said in his word what he will do. Now listen. When we get to it in 18 and verse 36, it's a prayer, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, in the hearing of the people who had gathered at Mount Carmel, 
for that great contest between the 850 uh, prophets of the false idols, the false gods, and him who stands alone, Elijah, the one for the living God. He appeals to all those people that are here to watch the spectacle, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not Jacob, it's Israel. It's the nation, it's the changed man that's mentioned there. He's reminding the people of their roots. This is probably around 850 uh, BC. So a lot of time has passed. The exodus happened around 1400 BC. Uh, you do the math, 600 and so years. So much had been lost in this northern kingdom. But Elijah, O oh Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, the covenant-making God, and the covenant-keeping God, I appeal to you. Remind this people of who you are. Let it be known that you are God in Israel, the living God, and that I am your servant, and I have done all things at your word. That's a key little line in there. I have done all things according to your word. That tells me that when he comes in 17 verse 1 and says to Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so, he's acting as God's mouthpiece. I'm doing this according to the word of the Lord. When he's standing here with this, this great spectacle on Mount Carmel, again he appeals to God and says, you show them God, that I am just a servant who's pointing to your glory and all that I do is driven by your word. Maybe you'll know the detail of this. The people come and there's the request that altars be built. And the altars are, are built for, for Baal and for the Asherah. And they spend all day, the prophets of Baal and Asherah spend all day wailing, pleading for their God to consume the sacrifices that have been made on the altar of, of the animal that has been laid. And there's silence. A whole day spent. It's embarrassing for them. So embarrassing they cut themselves. It's a hideous scene. And this man steps forward, confident. He said to the people, how long are you going to be halting between two opinions? How long? Remember he'd come to Ahab, and Ahab said, you're the trouble of Israel. And he rightly turned around and says, no, I'm not the troubler. I have come to show you who the living God is. The troubler is you, Ahab, and the fathers before you who have turned away from the things of God. Let me show you who my God is and who your God is. Gather these prophets. Let's have this contest. And when it comes to uh, Elijah, he takes the altar that has been broken down. Notice that. The people have been trying to erase the things of God from their nation. Jezebel had been killing the prophets of God, knocking down the altars of God. He takes and he builds it up and there's a, he says there were 12 stones for each of the tribes of Israel. This is about God and his people. And they dig a trench around it and they pour water into it. And the ox that's been cut up is laid on top. And here in 18 verse 36 is the beginning of Elijah's appeal to the God whose word he knows, who has told him, you go and tell Ahab it's going to rain. But before that happens, this must happen. There must be this demonstration of the, the consuming fire of God. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am the servant and have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Elijah knew something. He knew that God was sovereign in all things and would be turning people's hearts. And the circumstances of life, and particularly at this moment in Carmel, 
And the top of that is he was appealing to God. It would be a moment when the people's hearts would turn. How does the Lord answer? With fire from heaven. And have you noticed the consuming fire that it is? It doesn't just consume the sacrifice on the altar, but the wood underneath it. And more than that, it consumes the stones and then the dust and then the water. I wonder whether the people are afraid it's going to consume them. And they're on their faces. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Let's stop this demonstration of the holiness and the awesomeness of who God is. God answered the man who had made his prayer audibly to the people. And it was a wonderful demonstration of the glory of God. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? It seems as though Ahab is convinced. Jezebel's not there, but Ahab is. Ahab has been the one to gather the prophets. It seems he's convinced because he doesn't put up much protest whenever Elijah says to the people, right, let's get all these 850 and we'll take them and we'll kill them. They're part of a false system of religion which is taking you away from God. God has just shown himself. Let's deal with this here and now. And they go and they take them and they kill them. Ahab doesn't protest. In fact, Elijah turns to him and he says, you go and eat and drink because rain's coming. And Ahab does what he's told. That's because he's a weak king. We're not on King Ahab here for too long. He tells Ahab to do that. What does it tell us? about Elijah the rain hasn't come he's had this wonderful answered prayer that's audible to the people that were there and the demonstration of the fire of God coming and consuming the altar all of it what does he do after the prophets have been killed and Ahab has gone to start rejoicing because the rain is coming that God has promised what does it say he does he goes back up the mountain and he gets on his knees and his face is between his knees. What a posture of prayer. And I was intrigued by this. Because then he has to be persistent in prayer for the very thing that God has promised. Particularly when God has answered him so quickly and so unmistakably in the sight of the people with the consuming fire that came down. It was almost like it was instantaneous. It's the way it reads. Here's a man who's on his knees. God, you said it would rain. You've shown yourself. Now honour your word, honour your promise. And he has to send his servant seven times. Can't see a thing. Looking out over the Mediterranean, looking for the clouds to rise over the sea. And eventually the servant comes back on the seventh occasion and says, there's a, there's a wee cloud over there, the size of a man's hand is rising from the sea. And it's coming up. And he says, you go and tell Ahab that he needs to get his chariot and get down this mountain. And before the water that's coming makes it impassable. There's the persistence of patient prayer there. Here's a man that's absolutely convicted. He's convinced of who his God is. He's commissioned by his God to speak. And he does it three years prior. Here he comes three and a half years or so later as it tells us in James. And he's a man like us in a setting very similar to ours. Not much has changed in 2,800 years, has it? Not much. The things that were precious to God are being destroyed. The things of false religion have been brought in secularism as well that's the state of our world and we as the faithful ones who feel few Elijah gets to the point where he thinks he's only one we're pleading with God to do what he has said in his word you know God has shown himself unmistakably with the consuming fire that came down on the altar of Calvary and consumed the sacrifice that was Christ himself unmistakably 
and it was according to his timing. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son. Yes, and when the fullness of the hour had come, the Lord gave himself to the death of the cross. And in that moment, God has revealed his holiness, his mercy, his love, his grace, and the offer of a saviour. He's made himself unmistakably known. And these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Whom he appointed heir of all things. Who having made purification for sins. Has sat down in the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1. You know that. He's unmistakably shown himself at Calvary. And we speaking to people today. And we'll do so at camp over the next couple of weeks. And the other camps that are happening in the fellowship. We'll be speaking to people about that monumental moment in history. The hour of the suffering of the Lord Jesus. And his resurrection on the third day. And it's unmistakable. It tells us that God is the living God. It tells us that he is real. But maybe it takes us. Maybe it's not the right word. It does take us. Even in light of the knowledge of what God has demonstrated of himself in that moment. It requires us to be Elijah-like. And to climb to a place, or to descend to a place, to do whatever it is, and to be on our knees with our faces between our knees, and to be pleading persistently that we might see what God has promised. What has God promised in his word? The Lord Jesus himself said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I have other sheep, not of this fold, and I will bring them too. The Lord knows those who are his. He's sovereign in it all. But yet we've been brought in as Elijah was brought into the sovereign purposes of God. To trust the word of God. And to in the trust in the promises of God in his word to go and to speak. We don't do the saving. We don't do that. But we're the ones who, as in Paul's language, that we might win some. We're to be winsome in the way we interact with people. Showing them. That God has unmistakably shown himself at the place of sacrifice. And it was the sacrifice of his son so that sins can be forgiven. And that the promise of eternal life in him can be realized because he lives. That might require us to seven times or more. Be on our knees pleading that God will do what he has said. It requires us to be in the word of God, doesn't it? And to see the, the promises and the statements of God. You'll know that the things that God said in Deuteronomy were very particularly for the nation of Israel, a physical nation then. Uh, we don't take them and import them into today because we're, we're a spiritual nation and the world is a, is a different setting and we're the other side of Calvary. But the promises of God are there. And you know the best one for me is that he will never leave us, never forsake us. It's repeated in the New Testament. And as those of the people of God who go, were to go, to point people to the sacrifice and then to see the blessing that will come that God has promised. He has promised it. Look to the fields, he said, as the people were coming towards him. The white to harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers out, laborers out. We don't see this in our day in the Western world. We don't see the people coming. So it's difficult. It is. But we have an environment at camp with young people and older people at summer camp and teen camp in the unique environment that it provides to point them to the unmistakable living God and pray all the while those that are there and those that aren't that we will see the rising of something to the glory of God let's be persistent and patient 
in our prayer. I'm amazed that Elijah is able to outrun Ahab to Jezreel. That's a good one, isn't it? Um, he jumps in his chariot and races down the hill. It's a 25-mile journey from Carmel to Jezreel, which is uh, the second of his um, capital cities. It says, The hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and uh, outran Ahab to Jezreel. Go to 2 Kings chapter 1. Uh, Ahab's son, the new king, asks the man of uh, one of his messengers who'd, who'd received a message from Elijah to give back to the king. He says, what sort of man was he? He says, he's a hairy man and he has a leather girdle. So he was a man known for being very distinctive and he would use this leather girdle to hook up that of his clothes. The hand of the Lord was on him and 25 miles he runs and outruns a chariot. He's going to the capital city. Why is he going there? I think Elijah is going because he's had this wonderful victory experience on the top of Carmel where God has answered unmistakably in the fire and the people have said the Lord he is God he thinks that Ahab is convinced too because there's been no protest at the killing of the prophets of Baal and of Asherah and he thinks now is the time to go to Jezreel and to see the change in the nation read with me now in chapter 19 because that's not what he finds and here's my caution Let's read it and then we'll say more on this. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, Arise, eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. And he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram. 
and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint king over Israel and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah you shall anoint as prophet in your place it shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel Jehu shall put to death and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu Elisha shall put to death yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him so he departed from there and found Elisha you have a man who comes from the victory of the, mo- the top of Carmel. The unmistakable appearance and demonstration of the holiness and the power of God in the fire. And also in God honouring his promise that the rain would come. The end of the famine. The end of the drought. God bringing his blessing. And he runs. Under the hand of the Lord. There's 25 miles to Jezreel. Thinking this is it. The nation will turn. And the message comes to him because Ahab gets home and says to Jezebel, his wife, this is what happened. She sends a message within 24 hours. You're going to be like those prophets that you killed. Here's a man who's instantly disheartened and despondent. And I'd say depressed. He can't understand it. What does he do? He sets off running for his life. And he goes to Judah because he knows that's probably a safer place than remaining in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he goes as far south in Judah as he can to Beersheba. And he says to his servant, you stay here. I'm no prophet any longer. That's all over. Servant, you just stay here. And he goes a day's journey into the wilderness so that he might even get further away again. And he sits down under a juniper tree. And he sleeps. And an angel comes, provides food for him, allows him to sleep. And says... You're making your way to the mountain of God. Horeb, you'll know, is, or maybe you don't know, but I'm telling you it is, is the same as Sinai. There's such similarities between the experience of Moses that we have in Exodus 34, where he stands possibly even in the same place, in the same cleft of the rock, and sees the Lord passing by. We have the same thing here for Elijah. How quickly Elijah A man with like nature, just like us, can be absolutely deflated because we don't see the outworking of what we expect to see that God will do. God in his moment on Carmel had proven unmistakably that he was the living God. He had answered his promise to bring rain and his servant was absolutely rejoicing in that, expected to see the turnaround of a nation, but instead the nation just sticks where it was. And he runs for his life. I'm indebted to Tim Keller. Some of you will know him as an author for just some insights that come then to the man Elijah. And these are very quick. The reason I'm saying this is because we can go through the joys often of camp work. And even YFR recently, expectant that we will see a change and sometimes when it doesn't come or we might see something in the moment then of a victory but doesn't translate itself afterwards into what we expect and we would see should be the change of a life the change of circumstances the building up of churches and so on when we don't see it it can deflate us can't us can't it and circumstances recently in our assembly have flattened us What does God do? God doesn't write us off. He knows 
that were people of a like nature with Elijah. Here was a period where Elijah probably wasn't praying, but he would be encouraged by what God would do. Notice firstly that God sustains Elijah. Here's a man who's lying under a juniper tree. The Lord lets him sleep. The Lord sends an angel who bakes him bread and gives him water. Lets him sleep. You know, sometimes after the busyness of the service of the Lord, with all of its joys that are associated with, there's nothing better than a good sleep and a good meal. And maybe when people are feeling deflated, and we must be sensitive to this, brothers and sisters, each of us, then maybe that's a good thing. God would model it here for us. He meets his physical needs. Secondly, what does God do for Elijah? It says that the angel touched him. Taking hold of somebody sometimes is so powerful, isn't it? In encouraging them in the work that they're involved in. But not only that, God listens to Elijah. The angel touches him and says, you go in the strength of this for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb. You go to the mountain of God. You're seeking God. You're going back to the place where God has first unmistakably shown himself to the people of Israel. You're going back there. Okay, go in the strength of what I've provided. You've had a good meal. You've had a good sleep. It's the touch. Confirmation to go. And when he gets there, what are you doing here, Elijah? Of course, God knew full well because God knows everything. When God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know, it's because in the answer he's wanting us to know what the answer to his question is. That's what happens. It all comes out, doesn't it? It all comes out of Elijah. I alone am left. Your people, they've torn down your altars, they've killed all the prophets. I alone am left. It's a sad, sorry state. And God says, I'll show you who I am. So the first thing was God provides for him physically. Providing sleep and a meal. Secondly, God touches Elijah with a confirming and a comforting touch. And listens to him as well. And God always listens. So God starts the communication process again. And aren't we thankful that God listens to us? And there are times when we just need to pour out our hearts. Even if we may be misguided. But God will show himself to us and his ways. Second thing and the third thing is God reveals himself to Elijah in a very particular and special spiritual way, doesn't he? He comes out to the cave, maybe the same place where God had said, or Moses had said to God, show me your glory. He says, you can't see that and live, but I'll pass by. What happened at Sinai? The place was shaking with an earthquake. The mountain was consumed with fire. We can imagine, though it doesn't say it, that there was, there was a... The blowing of a wind, because if you've got that happening, then there will be wind too. And the people of Israel were frightened, witless. And it says that Moses himself was terrified to go up the mountain. And here Elijah comes out to the entrance of the cave. And God is passing by. But for Elijah, in that moment and in his circumstance, it wasn't the fire and the earthquake and the strong wind through whom God was going to communicate. It was the gentle blowing. God coming, fully knowing what the man needed in the moment. The gentle blowing, he hides his face. Here's a man who hides his face in his knees and hides his face in his clothes. He knows the holiness of God in this moment as he's being restored to service because it must come 
He's a man who's hidden his face in prayer before. He knows who his God is. Humble before the God of all glory. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Sons of Israel have forsaken you. Covenant. Torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God, what are you going to do about this? Go and return. Verses 15 to 18 of chapter 19. Go and return. Go back. Get back on the road. And keep going. Firstly, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. That's amazing because that's a nation outside of Israel. In fact, one of their enemies and would be an enemy and a pain in the backside. And ultimately, they would be part of the Assyrian Empire, which would decimate the northern kingdom in time. But what do we get from that? God says, look, I'm sovereign over everything. Everything. Now you go and you're going to anoint Haziel, king over Aram. And also you're going to go and you're going to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. You know, Ahab, his days are numbered. His son's days are numbered too. And Jehu is going to be a man who will exercise my judgment for a while. Go and do that. God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign in the nation in which he lives. And then he says, and anoint Elisha the prophet in your place. He says, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's another one that's just waiting to pick up where you're leaving off. And not only that, there's another 7,000. So get on the road. Go and return. It's interesting that Elijah himself doesn't anoint Haziel. He doesn't anoint Jehu. That task falls to Elisha. Which is why I read verse, um, what verse is it there? Verse 19. He departed from there and found Elisha. He went and found a man. A man that God had commissioned, just like he had been commissioned. A man of God who would know the word of God. And he saw in him a man who would carry on the things of God. The Lord is good to us, isn't he? You're not alone. We may feel small, we may feel outnumbered. In an environment and in nations that are just so set against the things of God. But God has unmistakably shown himself. And it's our task to point people to that. And to be on our knees with our faces in our knees. Pleading persistently that God will show himself. And he will honour that which we see in his word. And if it doesn't match what sometimes we think. And it deflates us and maybe even takes us to depression. And together, brothers and sisters, let's be careful about that. That we do the things that God would have us do for people like that. That we may pick one another up, encouraged with the things of God. It's the things of his word. It's good to come and provide a me. It's good to allow somebody to have the sleep that they need to catch up. It's good to put an arm around somebody and just give them the benefit of your strength and comfort. But ultimately, you're going to have to bring them to the word of God. I think I'll leave it there. Let's go to camp with this before us. That we're all engaged in this together. Particularly in the matter of believing prayer. Laying hold of the promises of God. That he will be with us. That he will give the power. He will give the strength. The Holy Spirit will be the one who will do the work in the hearts of people. As the Holy Spirit does his work in the lives of believers. As The gifts which he has given are exercised in the environment of camp over the coming fortnight. May God be glorified in all that we do. And may God be honoured by his people. Like Elijah being persistent in prayer. Recognising who he is. And trusting absolutely in his word for everything. Let's pray.
Our gods, we thank you for the example of Elijah, a man with a nature like ours. He prayed and it didn't rain. He prayed and it did rain. But he was just praying to you that you might bring about the things that you had said. Our God, we're praying to you that you would bring about the things that you said too. That we would be encouraged in service. That people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Our God, we're leaning on you for this. Help us please together to be people who are persistent in prayer. Knowing that you have unmistakably revealed yourself to us. Help us please than to pray as we should according to your word, resting absolutely in your word, encouraging one another in it always so that we may see the blessing of our God in our day and in our nation. We make our prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.